Good evening, everybody. It's a privilege to be able to just share again this evening from the book of Revelation. And before we start tonight's study, let's just have a short word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again that we can come into your presence, that we have the privilege of being able to study your word. We just thank you as well, too, that there is no one who is like you who is able to reveal the end from the beginning and who knows the end from the beginning and who has revealed it to us in your word and I just pray your blessing on us as we just look at your word again and study what your word has to say about what is going to be happening during the time that the scripture refers to that your word refers to as the time of the tribulation and we just thank you again that uh, you in your word, right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, say that there is a blessing for those who read and who listen and who study uh, this book. And we just thank you for that in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 8. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. What the Lord is referring to here, and what John saw here, was that there were angels that took up key positions on the earth, and these key positions are the four quadrants uh, of the compass. And they took up these key positions. And the four winds is just uh, a figurative expression indicating the earth's winds. Uh, and these angels probably took up positions south, east, north, and west, which are the four points of the compass. And the four angels will turn off for a brief period, the essential engine that drives our Earth's atmosphere, and that's the wind. Verse 2, then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were to be sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The 144,000 here are a missionary corps of redeemed Jews who are going to be instrumental in the salvation of many Jews and Gentiles during the tribulation. Uh, period, and they're going to be the first fruits of the new redeemed Israel. And during this time, Israel will finally be the witness nation that she refused to be during the time of the Old Testament. And we see here by sovereign election, God is going to seal 12,000 each from the 12 tribes. And he promises his protection while they accomplish their mission. And we see there that 12 
5,000 are sealed from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Asher, Naphtali, from the tribe of Manasseh, from Simeon, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Zebulun, the tribe of Joseph, and the tribe of Benjamin. Then verse 9, after these things I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of the Lamb, and clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Where John sees a great multitude here, while the tribulation period is going to be a time of judgment, it's also going to be an unprecedented time of redemption. And there are going to be people from all nations, tribes, people and tongues, all of earth's people groups that are going to come to salvation during that time. And white robes and palm branches during the Old Testament times, it was um, white robes and palm branches were associated with um, celebrations, including uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what these people cry out with a loud voice, they say salvation belongs to our God. And salvation is actually the theme of the worship of these people as they recognize that salvation comes solely from the Lord and from nobody else. In verse 11, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So in verse 15, where it refers to there that they... Um, are before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. This is a reference here to the heavenly throne of God. And also during the time of millennium, there's going to be a temple on the earth. It's going to be a special place where God dwells in a partially restored but still fallen universe. Even during the uh, millennial reign of Christ, the universe is not going to be restored completely. It's only in uh, the final um, uh, chapters of this book, right at the end, that we see that God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And when he does that, there's going to be no temple because God himself will fill all in all and he is going to be its temple. 
And then it says, Therefore they are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Dwell among them, it just refers to God's presence is going to be their shelter and uh, protect them uh, from what they've actually come out of, from the terrors of a fallen world and the almost indescribable horrors that they've experienced on the earth uh, during the time of the tribulation. And in verse 17, it says there that for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd and lead them to living fountains of water. And it's just a wonderful image there of a shepherd and a lamb because the Lord, as we know, and, and David so aptly described it in the Psalms where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside still and quiet waters. And it says there that they won't hunger anymore, they won't thirst anymore, the sun shall not strike them, and that God is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Silence in heaven for about half an hour. The silence there is probably in awe and anticipation of the grim reality of the judgments that God is about to uh, release on the earth. And where the seventh seal uh, is opened, the seventh seal uh, not only includes an earthquake, but out of the seventh seal comes the seven trumpet judgments, and then the seven bowl judgments flow out of the seven uh, trumpet judgments in rapid succession before the Lord comes back to the earth. So there's this silence as nothing can be heard because of the grim reality, as we said, of what is about to happen upon the earth. Verse 3, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Now, censer is a golden pan that's normally suspended on a rope or a chain, and it was used to transport fiery coals from the brazen altar to the altar of incense in order to light the incense. And this symbolized the prayers of the people. And during Old Testament times in the temple, this occurred twice daily uh, at the time of the morning and the evening sacrifices. In verse 4, and it says there, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Verse 5, then the angel took the censer filled with the fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. 
So verse 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So if you read that, what is actually happening here when the first angel sounds the trumpet? It talks about hail and fire mingled with blood that was thrown to the earth, and that a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burnt up as well too. We saw that uh, in uh, verse 5, it describes there that there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. What happens here during this earthquake? There's probably a lot of volcanic eruptions that happened at the time of this earthquake, and this could actually result in a lot of water being thrown up into the sky, the eruptions throwing a lot of smoke and debris um, into the atmosphere as well too. And with all of that being in the atmosphere with the water and that, it could very easily condense to hail and fall uh, to the earth along with fiery lava. So you've got all these, this dust and gases that are falling uh, and it appears to actually make uh, everything uh, to be burnt up. And it talks about there that nearly a third of the trees, that's about a third of the earth's uh, forests, uh, were destroyed by probably what would be a huge lava storm that creates this blazing fire that actually devastates up to one third of the earth's uh, vegetation. So that is not enough. When the second trumpet sounds, uh, verse 8, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, this could be a huge meteor or asteroid that comes into the Earth's atmosphere. And as it comes into the Earth's atmosphere, um, the gases that are coming off the meteor ignite, and you normally have a, a tail uh, behind it, and it enters the Earth's atmosphere, and its impact into the sea will create a tidal wave that is going to destroy one-third of the world's ships. And also what is not mentioned here uh, at all, but I can just use a, a little bit of liberty to describe what would happen here. With these tidal waves as well too, besides a third of the ships being destroyed and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, this is probably going to have a devastating effect on a lot of the coastal cities around the world where when these tidal waves come in, it's not only going to destroy the, um, the Earth's, one-third of the Earth's shipping, it's going to have a massive amount of destruction on the Earth's uh, cities as well, too. And I don't even think there's any Hollywood movies that have been made that uh, can actually paint the devastation and destruction that is actually going to happen here. And if that isn't enough, when the third trumpet sounds, verse 10, the third angel sounded, 
and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So here, another celestial body, whether it's a meteor or a comet, it leaves a fiery trail behind it as it disintegrates um, and nears the Earth's atmosphere, scattering this um, stuff that actually contaminates uh, a third of the waters. Uh, it's described here as wormwood, and wormwood is a, a bitter poisonous substance that is normally extracted from a root and it causes drunkenness and eventually death. And uh, it talks about here that a third of the waters became contaminated like wormwood and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Then we go on to verse 12, the fourth trumpet, and the heavens are struck here, and then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying in the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So what we see here in verse 12 is that God is going to supernaturally reduce the intensity of the celestial bodies by one-third. You can imagine what's going to happen if the sun reduces... Um, its heat loss by a third. It's going to cause a radical drop in temperature. It's going to produce um, severe changes in uh, the atmosphere. It's going to upset the weather cycles. Uh, and this is just going to be temporary. And then the angel says there, he says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And there is one woe there for each of the trumpets that are still going to be sounded. And although the first four trumpets were unimaginable, what we saw there with that earthquake, um, the volcanic eruptions, uh, the hail, uh, all of that falling to um, uh, the earth. Um, what we saw there about the uh, asteroid that came in into the sea and uh, a third of the living creatures died and a third of the ships were destroyed and then another heavenly body coming in and contaminating uh, with the debris from that heavenly body the waters of the earth that a third of the waters became like wormwood and many many people died because of that that was still nothing compared to what is about to come that the uh, the rest of the trumpets are still going to be even worse judgments than what have actually happened until now and looking at this I, it really sounds um, apocalyptic it's something that God describes in his word. And as I've said 
uh, in our previous studies that we are not here to witness it, that the church is taken out of the earth before the time of the tribulation happens. And we see here that during that time, and also what we studied from uh, Daniel 70 weeks, that God's focus is on the nation of Israel. And we see here, we saw in uh, chapter 7, the 12,000 that were sealed from each of the tribes of uh, Israel. And the seal that they have on them, um, a seal is often, um, it refers to a signet ring that is used to press its image onto some wax that has normally been melted onto a, a document. And that uh, seal, when uh, a person who was wearing the ring made that mark with that ring on that wax, uh, that made that uh, document uh, authentic. And what happens to the 144,000 that are sealed, uh, the mark that is put on that they are sealed with is the name of God. And we actually read that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, where it says there, then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their forehead. So the seal that they had, that they were marked with, was the, the name of God. And we see here that God, again, is working with the Jewish people, and not only the Jewish people, but there are going to be a lot of people that during the time of these judgments, are going to come to salvation. But you don't have to be here to experience the judgment that is going to come upon the earth during that time. For all those of us who have entrusted and committed our lives to the Lord, we are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, as Paul wrote about in the book of Corinthians and also in the letters that he wrote to the Thessalonians. And if you had to die today, I'm going to ask you this question. Would you go to heaven? And if you have never considered what would happen to you if you died, I would like to just give you the opportunity to think about that now. If you have been listening to this and you've uh, never ever considered what would happen to you when you die. Um, this is probably, when you think about this, the most important decision that you could ever make concerning eternal life, because life doesn't end when we die. We are eternal, and we are going to live for eternity and the choice that you make down here on this earth is going to determine, or the choices that you make down here on this earth is going to determine where you are going to spend eternity. And Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is through faith, 
It's a gift from God. It's not by works, and nobody can ever boast about all the works that they've done. And Paul tells us in Corinthians what the gospel is. And in Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel is good news. Now, if there's good news, there is also bad news. And the bad news is that the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means that we have fallen short of God's standard, which is his law. All of us have broken God's law. And we have no hope of being reconciled to God in our own strength. And that's why God sent Jesus. And that is the good news. That's what the gospel is. That Jesus came, that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. So, the Bible tells us that we are sinners. And this is where godly sorrow leads to repentance for sinning against a righteous God. That we need to admit that we are sinners. That we are exactly what the scripture tells us, that all of us have fallen short of God's standard. We have all sinned. The scripture encourages us to believe in our hearts that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead. And Romans chapter 10 verse 9, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses there, says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done that and you confess your sin to the Lord and believe that he died on the cross for you, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, exactly as the scriptures predicted that he will, and you call upon him, you will be saved. Lord, I just thank you again for this opportunity that we've had just to study your word. Uh, we just uh, thank you for each and every single person that has been listening to this message tonight. Again, I just pray your blessing on each and every single person that has been hearing what has been shared tonight. Lord, and we just thank you for your salvation, that it's by grace that we are saved, that it's not by works. I just thank you for your hand on our lives, uh, for your grace, 
and your mercy. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you've done for each and every single one of us. In the wonderful and precious name of Jesus, amen.